Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon, and I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're here on this podcast to break down some of the challenging and interesting issues that are before employers with regard to health, uh, group health plan compliance. Suzanne, we're going to step back a little bit today to some of the basics with COBRA. Um, you were saying there are some lawsuits that have occurred recently. Tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, I think it's it's relevant to step back to some of the basics when you start to see something coming up in the news um, periodically or consistently, and that's what we're seeing with COBRA. There's been a number of lawsuits, especially down in Florida for some reason, um, a class action lawsuits involving COBRA notices. Uh, I mean, as an employer, you, it's hard to imagine that having a, missing a few technical requirements can result in an employer paying six or seven digit award, but that's, that indeed is happening. There were over, I think, a dozen class action lawsuits in Florida in 2019 wow. alone. Um, when I think of lawsuits involving COBRA notices, my mind automatically goes to, they must not have sent the notice. But in many of this, these cases, they did receive the notice, but it just wasn't um, complete. Right. So we're going to dig into that a little bit today. Okay, yeah. So let's start with a brief intro on COBRA notices. Right. And I'm just going to do this at a high level. We would lose y'all very quickly if we went through <laughs> all of the notices. But as you know, COBRA requires group health plans to permit plan participants to elect to continue coverage at their own cost if they have what we consider a qualifying event. And the plan administrator must provide a COBRA notice when the individual first participates in the plan, that's known as the initial notice, and then when a qualifying event occurs, and that's known as the election notice because that's when mm -hmm. they elect COBRA. Right. The most common reason or the most common qualifying event is termination of employer of employment. And so um, one of the, the uh, main issues that we hear in these cases over and over again is that COBRA requires a notice to be written in a manner that, quote, is calculated to be understood by the average plan participant. Mm -hmm. And so an, there's a number of different items that must be included in that notice. And so these cases generally allege that uh, they, are, they have failed in some manner with these requirements. Right. So a lot of these laws are meant to try and help employees and help them understand what they're getting. COBRA, as you said, to help uh, average people be able to understand what, what they have the right to do, which is, in this case, continue their coverage after employment. Uh, let's talk about damages for a minute. ERISA is the law that's overarching here, and that's where the penalties are found, if, if I'm understanding correctly. You don't think of cash awards a lot, though, and you're going to talk a lot about those. So tell us a little bit about cash awards under COBRA and ERISA. Yeah, right, because there's a few instances under ERISA in which a plaintiff can receive a cash award, but typically under ERISA, you uh, the, the plaintiff is, has to be made whole, mm -hmm. um, and that's the type of recovery they receive, not a cash award. But in this instance that we're going to talk about today, the plaintiff can receive a cash award. So COBRA, um, again, which amended ERISA, so it's a part of ERISA, it included an avenue under ERISA Section 502C1, for qualified beneficiaries to receive up to $110 per day per person for plan administrator's failure to provide the required initial notice or the election notice under COBRA. Plus, courts have the ability to award legal fees in their discretion, so that can obviously add up. Right. I mean, let's think of, it, of a situation. You have $110 per day award, um, and again, that doesn't sound terribly bad, but if you can imagine a situation where you have a reduction in force, let's just, to make it easy for math, Think of 100 people losing their coverage as a, as a result of a reduction in force two years ago. So the COBRA notice was arguably deficient in this, in this case, let's assume. 
The math would be $110 per day times 365 days times two years, and that's per person $80,000. Wow. A little bit over. So, but if you can imagine that now covering a thousand people who lost their job two years ago, you can see how those numbers are going to quickly add up and then throw in attorney's fees on top of that. Right, right. Okay, so clearly some big dollar amounts involved here. Let's jump into one of these cases. Um, Go for it, Suzanne. So a lot of the cases down in Florida are against well-known companies. And that's not to say employers out there, if you're not a global conglomerate, that you are uh, immune to these types of um, allegations. But we are going to focus on some of these bigger named cases today. So the first one we're going to talk about is Target. I'm sure y'all are all aware of Target. And Mm -hmm. I know I shop there weekly. Um, (laughs) In the Target case, there was a former Target employee and his partner who had alleged that they were unable to make an informed decision about their COBRA rights because of the piecemeal fashion by which the notice was provided. So what happened was after their termination, Target sent um, one notice called the COBRA Continuation Coverage and Enrollment Notice. And in that, it allegedly neglected to explain how to enroll in COBRA, but instead just directed them to a general HR phone number that was really operated by a third party. So it didn't identify the plan administrator. It didn't clarify who was the COBRA administrator. It didn't include an address where payments could be mailed, and it actually didn't even have the actual election form. And so the plaintiffs were also said that they were not warned how COBRA coverage could be lost prematurely, for example, if they didn't, if they had late payments. They then, by they, I mean Target, then sent a second COBRA notice that was titled Confirmation of Coverage, My Pay and Benefits, and it contained most of the information that was missing in the initial notice. But um, the lawsuit argued that the ultimately Target's notice left the couple unable to make an informed decision about health care coverage because it was confusing to them in the way that it was sent. Currently, that case is pending. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in mediation. Something as simple as even if you do provide basically all of the information, but it's in two piecemeal fashion, um, it ends up being confusing for the individual and they're not able to make a decision. At least that's what they allege. Right. So that goes back to that idea of what COBRA is requiring in those notices that the average plan participant can kind of come to a, a conclusion reasonably. And if you get two separate notices, we don't know the outcome. We don't know if the court actually would say that that is confusing. Uh, but it was enough to get it into mediation, which, as you pointed out, is enough to be costly, right? Right, right. And we think, I mean, we deal in COBRA daily, um, and certainly you as uh, individuals out there that work in the in this arena for your employers, um, you probably deal in COBRA daily. But for other individuals, just your standard employee, it's a very confusing right. topic. Right. So they do not understand COBRA. When they get these notices, they really don't understand what it means. Right. Okay, so that's Target. The next one involves one of my favorite uh, beverages, Coca-Cola. Well, there is a proposed class action filed against Coke, again, in Florida. And in this one, again, you have a lead plaintiff that alleges that he was terminated by Coke. And actually, this happened in October 2018 and was subsequently received the notice, but that the notice, again, didn't meet some technical requirements that uh, are required under COBRA. So again, as we have seen in all of these cases, the notice will allege that it wasn't written in a way that was understandable to the average participant because, it, for one, it failed to provide the contact information for the administrator. It failed to tell them when the continuation coverage would end and the name of the plan. And they, as a result, the plaintiff alleges that um, when he lost his coverage, he was unable to make an informed decision as to whether he should elect COBRA or not. Um, and specifically, I'll just quote from what he said in the case. It says, without information on when COBRA coverage ends or who the plan administrator is or even the name of the plan itself, 
a notice simply is not written in a manner calculated to be understood by the average plan participant. And so I will say in this case, it, the class was not certified. The parties ultimately decided to go into individualized mediation. Um, so that was a good thing for Coke. But nonetheless, it's very time-consuming, um, mm-hmm. certainly costly defense. Um, and and it, on its face, you think, is that really going to uh, cause an individual not to be able to make that, that determination? But there's enough of an allegation that the courts are, are allowing these cases to move forward. Right. Okay. So those are two pretty big employers with Coke and Target. Um, many of our listeners probably are much smaller than that and maybe thinking, I don't, gotta, I don't have to worry here because I'm not a mega corporation. Um, so what would you sort of have to say to that? Well, I think that obviously anyone who has governed by COBRA is subject to these if, if their notices are um, inadequate. And so we'll talk a little bit about the end. We're not going to go in full detail about what must be in the notice, but we'll talk a little bit out at the end of this podcast mm-hmm. about things to think of. I did want to bring up another case. Um, it is still a company you probably you may have heard of, Steak and Shake. Mm-hmm. Um, this one isn't about the notice content per se, but whether a notice was provided in the correct manner, because um, this is another issue that we see. So I want to highlight it. Right. And this one was Morehouse versus Steak and Shake. And in this case, you had a former employee who brought the suit against um, Steak and Shake after they had a workplace injury that ultimately led to her losing her group health coverage. And what happened was before her injury, she paid for her coverage, as many of us do, on a biweekly payroll deduction basis. Once she was injured, she ended up paying for her coverage through workers' comp benefits. She went out on FMLA leave. She received workers' comp. Um, she was not given any type of a COBRA notice. Once her workers' comp benefits ended, she was unable to make her premiums, and her plan health care coverage was canceled. Mm. And so she was then terminated from employment after the expiration of her FMLA, a whole other issue, which we won't get into. <laughs> But after it ended, she ended up having to purchase her own insurance and um, to help pay for some some surgery from her injuries. And then she had more than like 30 grand in out-of-pocket costs. Wow. So I want to just go back to a reminder about what COBRA says in this instance on when COBRA notice should have been provided. COBRA requires planned administrators to provide an election notice to individuals who experience a qualifying event that caused a loss in coverage. But a loss in coverage is not always a readily... Um, identifiable. And in this case, the court focused on the fact that under COBRA, a complete loss is not required. So any change to the terms and conditions of coverage as in effect prior to the COBRA qualifying event could be considered a loss in coverage. And so when the court looked at that that requirement and they applied them to the facts in this case, they decided that the change in the method of payment of premiums going from payroll deductions to deductions under their workers' comp benefit was enough of a change to consider it to be a loss in coverage. Mm -hmm. And when you couple that along with her reduction in hours due to her injury, then that certainly triggered an obligation for them to provide the election notice. Wow. So in these leave situations, they're so complicated. There's so many moving parts. You mentioned the FMLA portion. So state leave laws may be involved that have protections and may impact when the loss of coverage occurs. Um, You have disability going on here potentially. So the ADA could be involved. So really a lot of moving parts, COBRA being the one at issue in this case and the one we're focusing on. But really, um, employers should be working with outside counsel to make sure they work through these, and particularly with this one, to figure out when that loss actually occurred that in turn triggers the COBRA obligation for the election notice. 
Right, right. Because the outcome of this case was because they failed to provide that notice when they were required to, the court awarded the plaintiff compensatory damages to pay for her surgery and other medical expenses not covered by her private insurance and less the COBRA premiums that she would have paid up until um, that she would have had to pay for the continuation of coverage. And then they awarded statutory penalties of $50 a day wow. from the date that the notice should have been provided until the day that she was covered by other insurance, which I thought that part was interesting. And then she did, they did get awarded attorney's fees as well. So um, costly. Very costly. Uh, okay. So these are some great cases that all employers can learn from, even small employers. Um, what are the takeaways to summarize here, Suzanne? Well, you know, most of these cases are asserting that there's a variance between the model notice, which which we haven't yes. talked about, and the notice that the patients or the plaintiffs actually received. So again, employers are not required to use that model notice, but that model notice is really there for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, they want to make sure that, and, and, and really that's what we recommend is to utilize those model notices, but ensure that all of the information is provided um, and not omitted. And so if additional information is required to be added to that model notice to make it clear who the admin administrator is or um, clarification on the different parties involved, make sure that additional information is added. Um, but that model notice is really um, would have gone a long way in these cases. Right. It's such a great baseline to at least work from and to compare any uh, modified notice to that model notice. You would discover some of these errors, I would think. Uh, but yeah, employers should be uh, using that as their baseline. What about with respect to vendor use uh, for COBRA administration? Yeah, so exactly. So vendors, um, COBRA vendors use uh, software that typically automates these notices. Um, and sometimes they just don't include all the details. So you want to make sure if you are outsourcing that COBRA administration, that you do request to see a copy of all the applicable notices and make sure that they contain all the details. Because again, if we go back to these cases, they were alleging things that some of these key details were missing, mm -hmm. like the name and contact information of the plan administrator or the address of where to send payments. Um, and so when you think of all these little items that are requirements of the model notices, you want to make sure that those fields are not overlooked and that all of that information is included because something as simple as leaving the address out could lead to a lawsuit that's alleging that they are not able to make an informed decision. And so you want to um, not risk being pulled into a lawsuit that could have been um, avoided so simply by just checking out the details that are included in a notice and make sure you're checking all of those requirements that the DOL requires. Right. So this is such a great recap, Suzanne, on, on simple steps that employers can take. Two others that I thought of with respect to vendor usage for COBRA administration. The first is the initial notice. We talked up front about initial versus election notice. Right. Oftentimes the initial notice is forgotten and is not sent to newly enrolled spouses. Somebody who gets married mid-year, that newly enrolled spouse is supposed to get an initial notice. That leads to the second thing is just this communication between the employer and the vendor, making sure the feeds are lined up, that you're comparing right. a list of who was terminated each month or who was married each month sending that to the uh, vendor, the administrator, making sure the appropriate notices, and then uh, periodically reviewing a list um, and reviewing those feeds to make sure they match. That's another tip that we've seen to help avoid uh, uh, COBRA compliance issues. Yeah, and that actually brings up a good point that we you cannot rely on the vendors um, and you are, the, as the employer, ultimately responsible. So don't uh, rely that the, that the vendors are actually doing um, what they're supposed to do and think that that means that you are therefore um, not liable 
for any uh, issues that arise. Right. You have a continued duty to oversee and make sure that the administrator is doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's right. Right. Okay. So thank you so much, Suzanne. This was a fabulous recap on these uh, cases and some great takeaways for employers. Um, As we like to say on the podcast. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for joining us. 